The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. I'm glad you could join me today as we take a little time to talk about what happens when failure knocks. When failure knocks at your door. That is a common experience with all men everywhere. When I say men, I'm using the generic term, of course. Men, women, boys, girls, we all experience failure. Abraham experienced failure. He had a phenomenal beginning when God broke through uh, during the time that we were talking about the best made plans. And uh, after Terah died, and of course his wife Sarah was barren, uh, now where do we go from here? And God in his grace stepped into this man's arena, if you will, caused him to go to a land that he had never seen, and his only dependence was that when he arrived, God would make himself known to him. And this was a spiritual success, if, if we could use that term. I, I, I hesitate to do so because it's, it's really evidence of uh, the mercy and grace of God to work with the stuff that we're made of. Nonetheless, he brought him to the place that he promised And when Abraham arrived, there were two significant events in his life. Number one, he built a memorial. He memorialized the event of God speaking to a man, leading him to a place he'd never seen, arriving at that place, and then a second time confirming that he had arrived at the place. The second major event is that he built an altar to God. And you're going to hear me refer to this significant event in a variety of ways. This altar represents a place of communion. Now, for some of you, it might be a very specific place of communion. You might go to a park, might be a special place in your home, but I'm using it to represent that time that you devote solely to quieting yourselves in the presence of God and waiting upon Him, waiting on His Word, relying on his promises, calling upon him out of the deep issues of your heart and taking time to establish a relationship, what the Bible calls a walk with God. And so we all have those spiritual successes, to use that term loosely. Uh, We have uh, moments when we have received answered prayer, which is, I think, a very significant event because you are seeing God in his providential care for you, bringing to pass in your life, in time and space, a very specific request you've made made, uh, to him uh, to provide for you, not because you're worthy, but because you have need of it, 
or some of us may have realized a long worked on planned for goal and uh, saw it come to uh, fruition. Uh, Perhaps we were starting a ministry or we're involved in a ministry or uh, church planting, or it could be a variety of endeavors that, that are created for the benefit and blessing of others. So this man memorialized two major events uh, or one major event of God speaking to him and revealing to him this uh, place of blessing, but it's memorialized in two actions, creating the actual memorial and creating an altar, a place that he built to commune with God. So at this point, his life is really on track. And uh, all that needs to be done is nothing, just to stay with it, just maintain it. And in reality, this should have been Abraham's goal. You know, as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it wasn't really so, because we are told in the narrative that he recognized two things about the land um, that he arrived at. Number one, the Canaanite was in the land. And number two, there was a famine in the land. And so often... When we face a circumstance that tells us clearly, I have a problem. And it's a problem I cannot fix. That's the first realization. The next that follows is the question we typically ask ourselves, although not verbalizing it. Is God in this? Is God a part of this problem? Sad to say, we don't frequently see the hand of God in the midst of the problem that's facing us. And therefore, it creates a quandary. Do we stay? Do we remain where we are? Or do we move from the place and the plan that we originally set for ourselves? And we are told in Abraham's life, that he decided to keep going south towards Egypt. So, in conclusion, he did what we do. We get out. We leave it. We go somewhere else. We change jobs. We change churches. Sometimes we change friends. We try to change our circumstances. But in doing that, there are some critical matters that we neglect to address, which, if addressed, we might come to the conclusion that maybe I ought not to leave at all. So let's look at Abraham's life. Well, what happened? Well, Abraham faced your typical, what I call a now what type of circumstance. And these circumstances sometimes generate complications. They put us in circumstances that we may have to lie in order to mitigate the damage. Deception becomes part of the plan. We exercise poor judgment. We exposed ourselves and loved ones to perhaps catastrophic or detrimental type of outcomes. And in Abraham's case, it resulted in him being, (laughs) 
tossed out of Egypt, if I could put it that way. I mean, he was expelled. He, he was asked to leave because his duplicity was found out. And we're going to learn uh, a few lessons that are very important for us when we begin to establish a walk with God. So let's go back to the beginning and sort of look at the dynamic. At a very broad level, he left the place of communion. In verses 8 and 9 of the narrative, he established a memorial and a place where he can meet regularly with God. But he looked at a circumstance that he could not solve or wrap his mind around or figure out the why of it. And so, because he concluded, obviously, that God wasn't in it, he left. He left the place that God had designed for him to remain in. Now, he did something that I think, if we recognize this, it is perhaps a very grave error and a very risky way of responding to circumstances. Have you ever been in a, in a, among friends, for example, and they ask you to, to describe yourself, and you may use one-word terms to describe yourself, like I'm sensitive, I'm creative, or phrases, I'm great with numbers, uh, I'm very artistic, um, I can read music, and we use a variety of phrases and words to give people uh, a very broad view of who we are. Well, God has certain characteristics that identifies and clarifies his person. We call them attributes. One of these attributes is that of foreknowledge. God has the capacity, ability to the nth degree to see the here and now right through to the future throughout all eternity. He just sees the foreverness of a circumstance, a choice, a decision, a path. He sees all of the connecting possibilities if I make a decision to go a certain way. He sees the infinite outcomes. He has foreknowledge. And when Abraham got to Egypt, <laughs> he appropriated for himself an attribute that only is associated with God. And when a finite man <laughs> attempts to use a quality or attribute that God himself alone possesses, we really make a mess of things. And so, for example, Abraham said to his wife, and I thought it's noteworthy, he says, I know that you are a fair woman to look upon. So evidently, she was a really attractive woman. And at this point, he's about 75 years old. So you have to admit, if he can say of his wife, you are a really attractive woman at 75, she must have been a really attractive woman to behold. And here comes the error. He says, it will come to pass when the Egyptians see you, they will say, 
she is his wife. Now, he doesn't know what the Egyptians will say. In fact, no one knows what the Egyptians will say. We know because we have the narrative. But if we were with him, one of us would have surely said, how do you know? But my friend, we do the same thing. We take this attribute of foreknowledge and we, we seek to apply it to our circumstances as though we can see into the future. And we extend ourselves by making decisions on a faulty view of the future. He says, it'll come to pass when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, you're my wife. And then he said this, they will slay me. Now, remember, Jehovah made a promise to this man that he will be a blessing to, to the, all the families of earth. So you have to conclude that somewhere along in this narrative, someone is making a mistake. And if God is holy, he cannot lie. And if he says to Abraham, all of the families of earth will be blessed because of you, then Evidently, no one can touch Abraham because God has not fulfilled his plan for Abraham yet. But Abraham concluded, well, since I'm going to use this attribute, now he's not saying to himself, I'm going to use this attribute, but what he is actually doing is that in his heart. He is extending beyond the present circumstances and projecting into the future based on a flawed view Influenced by his fear, influenced by his mortality, influenced by his ignorance, all of the above and a lot more. And he drew a conclusion as to what the ultimate outcome will be. And only God knows that. But as a result of what he's doing, he is about to complicate his life and the Egyptians in a way he would never have imagined. And he goes on to say to his wife, they will slay me and save thee alive. Now, they may not save her alive, but he says because of her beauty, well, they'll keep you. They won't harm you. So to bring about a favorable outcome, which is that I will be alive and you will be alive, tell them you're my sister. And there is that the sum and substance of what we do. We take matters into our hands and we pretend, unknown to us, ignorantly, that we are like God and we can do what he does. And very often, in retrospect, we complicate our lives immeasurably. Now, when he came into Egypt, of course, the Egyptians saw that she was, in fact... <laughs> a prized woman. And they communicated this to Pharaoh, and she was taken into Pharaoh's house, probably as part of his harem. And he treated Abraham well on account of Sarah. But eventually, <laughs> we come now to another characteristic or attribute that is uh, solely belonging to God. And that is God is omnipotent. His power is limitless. And by virtue of this limitless power, 
he exercises what is called sovereignty. He overrules events, circumstances, to bring about his perfect will using imperfect circumstances, people, and situations. And so God steps into the arena again of this man's life. And the narrative is told to us that Jehovah plagued Pharaoh and his wife with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, some may say, oh, that's appalling. Pharaoh didn't know. Well, let's pause. You're right. Pharaoh didn't know. He acted ignorantly. But Abraham knew. And this is part of the outcome, if you will, when we take of the attributes and the, the characteristics that belong only to God and we seek in our finite, ignorant way to apply it to our lives. And we have such a limited view. And we end up complicating our lives. And sadly, we complicate the lives of others, sometimes innocent people. So God steps in. He overturns Abraham's scheme. Thank you. And as I mentioned at our earlier conversation about the best made plans, in grace, he steps in to disrupt this. Because if he doesn't, Pharaoh is about to do something by taking her, that is Sarah, as his wife when she belongs to another. And God causes him, that is Abraham, to be found out, exposed, and expelled from Egypt. And so God now leads this man back to Canaan with his wife and all of his belongings. And we are told that he led him to the place between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar that he had made there at the first. And we are told in verse 4 of chapter 13 of Genesis, and there Abraham called on the name of Jehovah. So let's take a look at the core issue. If we want to avoid this sort of outcome, and we look at a difficulty, we must fight the temptation to take matters into our own hands, which could very well result in us either lying or just complicating our lives immeasurably. So the core issue here is, Abraham responded out of fear and failure to trust God. It's really very simple. Fear and failure to trust. This is the core of the influencing issue that leads us to take actions or apply methods that are contrary to the leading of God's Spirit. It's not easy to, if I may use the term, walk with God. But in doing so, we are exercising certain actions that are 
seemingly counterintuitive. We are intending to wait on God in his presence, to search the scriptures to find like circumstances for light and guidance. We are looking for promises in the scriptures to garrison and strengthen our faith. We are calling upon God in prayer. We are waiting on God in quietness, allowing the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts and to give us wisdom, light, direction. But when we fail, when we fear and fail to trust God, it leads to faulty thinking about God and His ways. And it leads us into circumstances where we are tempted to misappropriate attributes that belong to God only. The net result being we rob God of his glory. And we make, we just simply complicate our lives unnecessarily. And so my friends, when we when we think about how do I want to handle fear? What am I afraid of? Everybody has fears. We all have fears. We share that uh, as a common experience. But for the devotee of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important, the most significant event in your life and mine is to stay close to the place of communion and waiting on God. This is the first and foremost action of our lives. I will assume that our circumstance is not life-threatening, but it may be a circumstance or a decision that may impact uh, where we live, where we work, our spiritual lives. Uh, I'm going to presume that it's not a, um, uh, a moral dilemma, but even if it is, God's word will, will give light. But the most important thing, as I've been exhorting and encouraging you all along, is to set aside time beside still waters, that quiet place where you and I are waiting for and waiting on God to give us light, to give us direction, to give us wisdom, that we may know what we should do and what would bring glory to God. Oh, my friend, fight the urge to take matters into your own hands. Fight the urge to uh, misappropriate only what God can be and do, and that is to see the future. He can be trusted. Trust him to do in your life what will be for his glory and for your benefit as you seek continually to quiet yourself in his presence beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.